This morning's reading comes from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. So he came to a Samaritan city called Shire, near the plot of ground where that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You'll worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such those, such as these, to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said to him, What do you, do? What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything that I have done. He cannot, be, he cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do with the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, four months for more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you, 
and see that the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the whole saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that, that this is truly the savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have you seen her? Has she come in here? She left her jar. I, I'm trying to find the woman who left her jar. Have you seen her? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I think I'm partly to blame for her leaving in such haste. Uh, you see, my name is John. Um, I'm one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, I'm afraid we had a lot to do with her leaving in such hurriedness. Uh, perhaps I should explain. Maybe you would understand. Maybe you would uh, understand that it could happen to you. You see, we were in Jerusalem, and, and we were making our way toward Galilee up in the north. Uh, Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom of Judea. And uh, we were going through Samaria, of all places. It, it's not the way we would normally go. No, no self-respecting Jew would, would put their foot on the soil of Samaria. Samaria lay between Judea and Galilee. So we would take that road that leads from Jerusalem to Jericho. It, it leads east across the, uh, the Jordan River. We, we would go that way, and, and then we'd go up north along the east bank of the Jordan River until we got up to the Sea of Galilee. Then we would turn back west and, and move into Galilee. That's the way we would go. It's, it's a long way, mind you, but, but we did not want to go through Samaria. But you see, Jesus had to go through Samaria I even wrote that in my gospel, that, that he had to go through Samaria. I could see it in his eyes. And when Jesus sets his sight for something, you cannot delay him or deter him. So we went through Samaria. We didn't want to go, but, but we followed Jesus. And, and we made our way up to the town of Sychar, where that famous well of Jacob is. It was a hot day. The, the sun was overhead. I, I believe it must have been high noon. There wasn't a shadow to be seen anywhere. Uh, Jesus sat down by the well and he told us to go into the town to buy some food. We didn't want to leave him there by himself, not in Samaria. It would be a place of danger for him, but, but whenever Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. And so we did. We went into the town I don't know what it was, but something drew me back to that well. Something drew me back before the other disciples. That's why I was able to, to see this woman that the others did not. 
I came back early enough and, and, and I could see the well in the distance. I could see Jesus sitting beside the well. But you know, uh, desert heat does strange things to your eyesight. You know how the, the waves of heat will, will waft heavenward and move to and fro. And sometimes trees will appear to come and go and separate and come together. And, and as I looked at the well, I could see the figure of Jesus, but, but it looked like there were two people there, but I knew it could not be. Who would come to the well in the middle of the day as hot as it was? No, no, there could. But the closer I got, the more I realized there were two figures there. Someone else had come to the well that day did, did they mean harm against our Lord? I, I, I thought maybe I should run back to the other disciples and warn them, or, or perhaps I should run to Jesus' defense. I, I didn't know what to do, so I crept closer. And then I couldn't believe my eyes. You won't believe this, but, but Jesus was sitting there in the middle of the day talking to a woman. Oh, that doesn't surprise you. I can see, look at you all. Look at you, men and women sitting next to each other. You probably hold hands in public. What manner of people are you anyway? We would never do such a thing, not in my day. No, sirree, men and women did not associate with one another. Uh, well, not in the public. And certainly not a rabbi. In fact, one of our favorite prayers that we men, as we worshiped together would hear from the rabbi, would be the one that he would pray as he stood before all of the men of his congregation. I thank thee, God, that thou hast made me a man. <laughs> we all smiled, and now I wonder if maybe the women were not smiling so much. I realize things change, and I realize that Jesus was trying to change us. Everywhere we went, women followed him, he treated women like they were, well, as well as men. I think I could have gotten used to that. But don't you see, this woman was no just any ordinary woman. This woman was a Samaritan. He was talking to a Samaritan as if it was okay, but it wasn't. Oh, I wanted wanted to come to him. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to grab a hold of him. I wanted to say, look, you're talking to a woman and a Samaritan. Don't you realize they will crucify you for this? You could tell she was a Samaritan. She, as I got closer, I could hear her, her, her accent was that of a Samaritan. She, she looked... Different. Do you, do you, you see, Samaritans, we hated them for good reason. At least we thought so. You see, centuries ago, when the Assyrians, they, they took our people, they conquered our land, and they took our best people, our brightest people, and took them away to Assyria. And, and those who were left behind, the Jews that were left behind, they had the audacity to intermarry with the foreigners that the Assyrians brought in. They even married some of the Assyrians themselves. That's why they were racially different. That's why I could tell that this woman was different. She was a Samaritan. And because they could not worship in Jerusalem at the temple, they built another place of worship on Mount Gerizim. They had turned their backs on their own people. They had betrayed God. We felt 
righteous indignation. We believed we were right to hate them. That's why I wanted Jesus to get up and move away from this woman. Not, not only that, she was, well, she was a, oh, I know what you think. Uh, I've heard you talking. I've heard some preachers preaching about it. You've, you've said that this woman was a, was a harlot or a prostitute or a woman of the night. I've heard you talk about her in that way. But let me tell you something. I never said that about her because I never heard that out of the mouth of Jesus What I wrote in my gospel is what I heard. She had had five husbands, and the man that she was living with was not her husband. That's what I said. I didn't say that she was gallivanting around the community with every man she could find. No, I did not. What you have to understand is in my day, what gave value to a woman's life was her ability to produce a child. That was her purpose in life. That's what connected her to the the covenant that God made with Abraham. Remember how God said to Abraham, if you will follow me, I will bless you and I will give you offspring that will number like the stars in heaven. And beginning with Sarah, that's exactly what the Hebrew women have done ever since is they have produced offspring as part of the covenant between God and Abraham. And so so if, if a woman could not bear a child... It would be as if she were cursed. So imagine, just imagine. I don't know why this woman had five husbands, but I imagine, I can truly imagine that that perhaps she could not bear a child. She was barren. And, and, And if you could not bear a child, all a man had to do was to say, I divorce you because it was as if that marriage never occurred. It was annulled. And that's why it became so easy. By the time of Jesus, men could, for any reason, say, I divorce you, be off. I know some of you women wish it were so easy to divorce your husbands. I know. Well, imagine she marries a man. And no child is produced in that marriage. And the husband says, woman, be off, I divorce you. She marries again, no child, I divorce you, be off. And number three and number four, number five. What man in that community would marry this woman now? No man would do such a thing. She would be cursed. No wonder she had to come to the well in the middle of the day. No self-respecting woman would want to be around her. So she could not come at the early point of the day when the air is cool or in the evening. No, she must come in the heat of the day while there is no one else around. No, this man that she's living with, I, you know, I, I don't know if he was using her or if she was using him. It, it does not matter. The point is that a woman in my day could not live alone. She was considered either the property of her father or her husband or her brother but she could not live alone. So maybe this man was getting something out of this relationship and was able to take care of her, but at least she had a place to be. And it's as if Jesus understood that about her. He could tell that here was a woman who was hurting inside, who was empty inside, who who wanted some sense of value and purpose in her life. That's why the, the very first words out of his mouth were, were remarkable. 
He could have said, he, he was the son of God. He could have said, look at all of what I have to offer you. I can give you anything you want. I can make your life perfect. He could have done anything like that. No, he did not do that because he saw a woman who needed a sense of value. And so what he says to her is, give me a drink. You give me something because I know you have something to offer. While our whole community in the world was saying to her, you are worthless, Jesus was saying, you are a person of worth. Give me a drink. And she was so, so caught up in her own worthlessness, her own prejudices, that she couldn't even hear what Jesus was telling her. And, and her immediate response was, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? <laughs> she didn't even hear what, she was, what he was saying to her. He said to her, if, if you only knew who it was that was asking a drink of you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. It was clear that, you see, Jesus was talking about something deeper, something far more important than the kind of water that you can touch and quench parched lips. No, you see, Jesus was talking about God's grace and love. And that's what he was offering her. And, and she looked at him and all she could think about was the water you could touch. And she said, you have no bucket and the well is deep. How will you give me this water? Are you somehow greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well? <laughs> oh, Jesus must have been getting frustrated with her by now because he, he was clearly wanting to talk about something far deeper than the well of which she spoke. <laughs> he said, if you drink of this water, you'll get thirsty again. You'll have to come back. You'll have to put your bucket in the well. But if you drink of the water that I have to give you, it will become like a like a spring of water, not a well, but a spring that will gush up to eternal life. You'll never have to come back here again. You'll never thirst again. Ah, now, now he pushed a button. <laughs> you could see it in her eyes. Yes, she was, uh, she was starting to imagine something more than Jacob's well. She started imagining being in her house and having a faucet where she could turn on the water and it would just kind of pour, pour out of that faucet. It would never stop. Oh, she could just close up the windows and bar the doors. She could just lock herself into her own home because she would have this eternal water. But she was still talking about the physical water that flows into your belly. Jesus wanted to talk to her about the living water that flows into your heart. So he doesn't allow her to lock herself in. <laughs> Even though she says, give me this water. Give it to me. She wants the water. <laughs> so he is very crafty and he says, well, go call your husband. And you can almost see the, 
the sparkle in her eye just dim. And she lowered her head, and you could almost imagine her thinking to herself, uh, I knew there would be a catch. This is the other shoe that had to drop. <laughs> yes. She shook her head and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, I know. I know that. It, it didn't bother him at all. He knew that. He said, I know you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. Now she started to shake. She started really getting nervous. She didn't want this stranger talking about her life. No matter what he talked about, about living water and eternal water and all that, she's, she's a little bit anxious about a man talking about her personal life. And so she says to him, trying to change the subject, Ooh, I perceive you are a prophet. You Jews, you worship over on this mountain. We, we Samaritans, we worship over here. She wants to have a theological discussion when Jesus is offering her life. Oh, how often we are like this woman. <laughs> he said, the time is coming. In fact, the time's already here that if you want to worship God, it won't be on this mountain or that one. But you'll worship him in spirit and truth. Because God is spirit. Now, the gleam in her eye returned. You could see her looking across the horizon of time, imagining what a world like that would be. A place where you could worship in spirit and truth. A place where you could just be yourself. You don't have to put on any pretense. You don't, have to, you don't have to produce a child. You could just be who you are. And you'll still be loved. Oh, what, what a wonderful place that would be. And oh, not even putting, putting her eyes on Jesus, just looking in this far-off land. She said, ah, one day the Messiah will come. <laughs> One day, one day, the, the Messiah will come and proclaim all of these things that you speak of. And then Jesus said something quite remarkable. In fact, it was absolutely astounding. In fact, it caused me to want, I almost fell on my knees when he responded to this woman who was longing for the Messiah. Uh oh, I, I know what you think he said. I've read your Bibles, yes. Uh, they're written in English. <laughs> I did not write my gospel in English. I'm sorry, I wrote it in Greek. And what, what it says in your Bible, when she said one day the Messiah will come, Jesus responds by saying, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Fair enough, sounds good. Sounds like he just said, I'm the Messiah you're looking for. Sounds Pretty amazing, but it is far more amazing than that if you read what I wrote. And I didn't write that. I'm sorry. I wrote it in Greek. And to really understand the profundity of what I wrote, you, you must understand some of the history. Uh, you've heard of the man Moses, have you not? Moses, the 
one that God sent to Pharaoh. Remember how God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and said, Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh, free my people. Remember how Moses started stuttering and acting like, oh, he wasn't the one to do that, you know. And he said, well, God, who should I say sent me if I go? They, they won't believe me. So out of the burning bush, you know what God said. God said, tell them I am sent you. Well, actually, God did not say that because God was not speaking English then. No, <laughs> uh, God was not speaking Greek either. God was speaking Hebrew, yes. And out of the burning bush, God said, tell them. Well, you, it's hard to pronounce that word. It's four letters. Y-H-W-H. Uh, if you put vowels in there, you could say Yahweh. Tell them Yahweh sent you. You see, you see, the Hebrew language is made up of consonants. There are no vowels. And so you have to put the vowels in. I believe some of you are Hebrew because I've seen it on your four-wheeled vehicles. What do you call them? Automobiles? Yes. Those little license plates? Yes. Yeah, they're all consonants. You got to figure out what it means. You, you know what I'm talking about. You know, my, my favorite one is JN316. <laughs> you know what? John 316? Yeah, I like that. I wrote that. <laughs> well, actually, Jesus spoke those words. But anyway, the point is, you've got this out of the burning bush, God saying, tell them this tetragram, these four letters, sent you. Well, those four letters mean. Well, it's hard to say. It's like a form of the verb to be. It's like being sent you. Tell them being sent you. Now, you could put some letters in there and make it Yahweh. Or remember, these Y-H-W-H, that's transliterated from the Hebrew. It could be J-H-V-H. And so if you put other vowels in there, you get Jehovah. Jehovah Yahweh. Same word. Same word. So stop fighting over which one is correct. It doesn't matter. Both are correct, in a sense, if you want to speak English. So, you know, those people that knock on the door, they could be Yahweh witnesses, could they not? Mm, hello, I'm a Yahweh witness. Oh, well, anyway. Now, to understand what Jesus was saying, you have to understand that the Greek scholars who later translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek when they came to that word, which sort of means being, this I am, they really struggled with how to translate that. How do you do that? You could, you could put the word for I am in there. It's a single Greek word, me. You could just say me. Tell them me sent you. But that just did not seem appropriate. It wasn't enough. It was more than just I am. So the Greek scholars, in their translation, in this translation, you can read today, it's called the Septuagint. There were 70 scholars that, that translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. They decided to put the word for I in front of a me. So it would be I, I am. The Greek word for I is ego. It's not a waffle. It's the word for I in Greek. Ego, a me. Ego, a me. Quite literally, it's I, I am. That's the Greek translation of Yahweh, of the I am of the burning bush. Well, when the woman at the well said, one day the Messiah will come, Jesus did not say, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. 
Jesus said, Ego me. Don't you see what he was saying? He's saying, you're waiting for the Messiah. Will you stop waiting for the Messiah? Because God Almighty sits right next to you. If you are looking for something to fill the emptiness of your soul, if you want living water that will have no end, then look no farther than the man who sits next to you because he is the great I am. He is the one who brings all into being. That's why I said I almost fell on my knees like, like they did in the, in the garden when they took Jesus away. Remember how Jesus stood there before Judas and asked, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And in your Bibles, it says, He responds by saying, I am he, but that is not what he says. What he says is, ego, a me. Whom do you seek? We seek Jesus of Nazareth. Well, guess what? You get God Almighty, and no wonder the soldiers fell on their knees. Well, that's when the other disciples came. And that's when the woman ran away, leaving her jar. And we did the worst thing you can do to anybody. We pretended like she wasn't even there. We simply ignored her. We didn't ask Jesus, why are you talking to a woman? We didn't ask her, what do you want? We we simply turned our backs on her. And she ran away. That's why I want to find her, you see. I want to take her jar back and I want to tell her that I'm sorry. I want to tell her that I I was wrong in ignoring her. I was wrong in, in thinking she was some sort of enemy, somebody that was less than I. I wanted to tell her that She wasn't the only one who was empty that day. But I was too. And I tried to fill my emptiness with with empty religion. with, With biases based on who knows what. My my culture, my time. All I know is that I filled it with a lot of stuff that just kept God's love out. You know, I wonder, are you feeling a little empty too? What have you filled your life with? Is there any room for God's grace? Maybe that's why the woman left her jar. She left it for you left it for me. Maybe we need to be filled where we are most empty. Let us pray. Oh God, fill my cup. Fill it until I want no more. Fill me with
that living water of your grace that has no end. Amen.